I guess it was around uh, fourth or fifth grade, my parents decided that it was time for me because out of convenience for them, it was time for me to, to embrace the independence of riding the bus home alone, getting off the school bus, and spending a couple hours every day alone without parental oversight. Now, again, this was out of convenience. There was a lot going on in their life and uh, from school to practices and all those sorts of things. It just worked out that this time we're going to trust you, get off the bus alone, stay at home alone until it's time for us to take you to practice. And I had stern instructions and I remember them. They were recited to me every day, every morning. You get off the bus, you can have a snack if there's something here to eat. And then immediately you start your homework. Now, this was a time when homework was a really big deal. Like, I, I'm realizing it's not that big a deal anymore. But, but I had homework in every subject, every day, and, and it was intense. And my parents were like, do not leave anything to be done after any of your practices, whatever season it was in, baseball, football, basketball. We don't want to have to do any homework when we get home. And so I would get off the bus every day, get a snack, and not do homework. This was a fight every day. WGN, Cubs games on, Harry Carey. I, would watch, I couldn't wait to get home and watch the Cubs, Ryan Sandberg, Andre Dawson. If it wasn't baseball season, I was probably watching a rerun of Dukes of Hazard. But this is what I was doing every day. I wasn't even thinking about homework. And then I would get consumed with shooting basketball or something, just, just enjoying life alone without anybody around. But I always had a warning sound every day when the gig was up. And it was my dad's truck. It was his work truck. It was a Chevy Silverado Dually. Now, some of you know what that is. Some of you city folks don't. It's the trucks with the two wheels on the back. And it was big and it was loud. He had to use it a lot, hauling big equipment and those sorts of things. But around 4.30 every day, I could hear the glorious sounds of dual exhaust from several roads over. And then when he would back off of the gas going down a hill and it would just backfire. I could hear that every day. And as time grew, I, 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 I increased in my sensitivity to hearing those sounds several roads over. My dad's truck, the exhaust, was the, it was the midnight cry in the, midnight, in, in the mid-afternoon. And it was time for me to pick all, everything up. Baseball gloves, basketballs. It was time for me to, to turn the TV off. It was time for me to sit down at the table and act like I was doing homework every day when he came in. My dad never got, he never said it. He just looked at me like, yeah, I'm not an idiot. I know what you've been doing around here. Get ready for practice. But I had this warning every single day. And I had created a pattern every single day when I hear it. And I could prepare myself to look like I had my life together like I was being obedient, that I had done what it was instructed of me. And Jesus teaches us here that his second coming will have no such warnings. 
You will not have time to get ready and act like you have your life together. It is a serious warning. And the passage, the emphasis of this passage is to say to us, Jesus, to say to us, I have told you everything you need to know. And you will have every sign that you ever need to know that I am returning. Stay awake. If you remember last week, the disciples, they're gathered on the Mount of Olives and they're asking Jesus, could you, could you give us a lesson about end times? Jesus, you've talked about this temple being destroyed, raised to the ground. Could, could you give us some signs when and how all of this is going to happen? And, and Jesus begins to teach them. And, and he says, there are going to be some birth pains, wars, natural disaster. And by the way, you're going to endure severe persecution. And then there's going to be some historical events where you're going to be able to look around and you're going to know at that moment, I could return at any moment. And this is the emphasis of the passage, that Jesus could return at any moment. And the first two things he tells them, we talked about it last week, is do not be led astray. There are going to be people who are going to come along. They're going to offer you safety and leadership. Don't be led astray to false Christ and keep your witness you exist in tumultuous times to declare that, that I am Lord, I am King, and do not forsake that responsibility. And as we move into this section of Scripture today, his emphasis here is be expectant. Be ready at all times. Now, I'm going to move through the verses here, and there's going to be some details and we're going, to, we're going to talk a little bit about different views of end times, but, but we're going to make it to the end. Jesus has one point in this whole section for his disciples, and it is to be ready. And so as we move through, don't get lost in all of the other things and speculation. But let's move into the application to be ready. Jesus could return at any moment. Notice verse 24. Jesus says, but in those days after that tribulation, after that tribulation, we just talked about wars, natural disaster, persecution, after those things, and I talked about last week, I think included there is the historical event where the temple is desecrated by various Roman rulers. They come in, they put statues in the temple, they offer sacrifices to false gods. When you begin to see all of those things, and then ultimately, when the temple is raised to the ground in 70 AD, the ruler Titus, in light of a Jewish revolt, he raises the temple to the ground, and the city of Jerusalem is burned. One million Jews are burned in the city. Jesus says, after you see that... After you see those things, there is an event you are to wait for. Notice the verse 24 continues. The sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will be falling from heaven. And the powers in the heavens will be shaken. So Jesus says, after you see all of those things and the temple is wiped out, there's one thing left to wait for. 
And you will know when it's happening. Because that which lights the planet, gives us light right now, will go out. Party's over. Lights out. The sun goes out. The moon goes out. Stars begin to fall. This is a cosmic disturbance that everyone on the planet, planet will know and they will see. Because notice verse 26. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and great glory. Now this term, Son of Man, we've talked about it throughout Mark. This is a messianic title that is given to Jesus, the Son of Man, which means he is God's king. And in Daniel chapter 7, we just read it. Daniel refers to God's king as the Son of Man who is ultimately this cosmic mountain. He describes God's kingdom as this mountain that will be planted on the earth and it will subdue all other kingdoms, all other mountains. And so this is the day we are waiting for. Notice he says, you will see the Son of Man coming. After the resurrection, after Jesus commissions his disciples to go preach the gospel to the ends of the earth, and they are standing there watching Jesus go away at the ascension, an angel turns to them and says, do you see this? You see how he's ascending to heaven? You will see him come in the same way again. You will see it. And because all of these other birth pangs, because of all of these other things have happened, this is what we are waiting for in this moment where the sky opens up and there is this galactic display of Jesus' power before us. And every human on the planet sees it. Now, I believe that this is what Scripture refers to as the rapture. Notice he says, when you see the Son of Man, verse 27, he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth. All who have believed in Christ will be gathered up in that moment. Many of you have probably heard that that rapture happens before the tribulation. That's not what I believe. I believe this rapture happens after the tribulation. I believe that, that at any moment this could happen, and that's why I believe that. We're not waiting for anything else to happen as we move through the text. You'll see that's where Jesus is getting to. You better be ready right now. And so after tribulation, now, some people believe that we're headed to seven years of great tribulation. But the point is, I believe it happens after because we're not waiting for anything else to happen. It could happen at any moment. That is the emphasis of Scripture. I also believe most of the New Testament is written to churches suffering persecution. Christians who are going through tribulation... That is what the book of Revelation is written to Christians about. You're going to endure persecution, but you will overcome because of Jesus. Trust him. And so after intense tribulation, the sky will open up and there will be the son of man coming to rule and coming to reign. Now, if you're sitting here saying, oh, I don't agree with that. It's not heresy. Okay. Okay. And, and don't, 
Let's continue to move through the text and get to the end because there's emphasis here and there's a point of application that we must all have. Verse 28. He says, learn, verse 28, from the fig tree. Learn its lessons. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out leaves, you know summer is near. And again, fig tree is referred to as the temple. In this section, you, you'll see the temple, and, and, and it looks like it has, uh, it, it looks like it's so fruitful, and, and there's so much going on. There's these great leaves on, on the fig tree, but there's no fruit there. And here Jesus uses the fig tree as a lesson. In the, in the same way you look at the fig tree, and you know what season it is. When you, verse 29, see these things taking place, you know that he or it is near at the very gates. Now, I believe this section goes back up to the tribulation that he's talking about in verses 7 through 13. These things in verse 29... These things that will lead to the temple destruction. When you begin to see war, when you begin to see natural disaster, when, when the church begins to endure severe persecution, you know that he, remember the abomination of desolation, or you could even translate that, it is at the gates. When you see these things, be ready because the temple is about to be destroyed. Again, this is the verses 7 through 13. When you see these things, this is about to happen. And as I've said, I believe that happened in 70 AD. But notice verse 30. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all of these things take place. Now, all of these things refer back to the tribulation. And here, all of these things includes the desecration and destruction of the temple. It does not include the second coming in this section. It includes everything before that. And here we're still waiting for the second coming. But notice verse 31. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And I want you to focus on that because there's a lot of things maybe going through your mind. You're piecing these things together. This is the point. Jesus says, I'm coming back. Things are going to get bad very bad and you're going to be persecuted and you're going to suffer but i will return expect it trust in my word how sure is my word heaven and earth can pass away but my word that created heaven and earth it stands forever so believe me trust in me do not be led astray keep your witness and wait for me to return now at this point i want to say this <laughs> The emphasis in what I believe about this passage, all the other views of end times, is this. And we got to agree on this. Jesus could return at any moment. He could return at any moment. We're not waiting for anything else to happen. Boom! Sky opens up. There's Jesus. Right now, it could happen. And that's how Jesus wants us to live according to his word. Trust in me. Believe in me. Don't fall asleep. He could return at any moment. Now, there's two other interpretations, and just for fun, we'll talk about them for just a moment. The all things 
in this section, verse 30, some believe that it includes Jesus' coming, but his first coming. And if you look at all of these signs, these cosmic disturbances, you've seen those in Jesus' life, especially at the cross. What happens? The sky goes dark and the earth shakes. And one of the things Daniel talks about is that this one, this prince, will put an end to all sacrifice. Who did that? Jesus. On the cross, when he said, it is finished, and the veil in the temple is torn, he renders the temple useless. And then what's going on? He commissions his disciples to go where? In the text, to the ends of the earth, to gather up the church. And so some believe we've already seen that. And so there again, we're waiting for Jesus to return at any moment. Others, when they look at the, the term all things there, they, they think this refers to a future generation, a generation to come. They will see more wars, more natural disasters, more persecution, and they will see in that generation the return of Jesus Christ. And I said last week, all of these sufferings, all of this tribulation could be cycles in history that you just move through. You could point at any time in history and you could find such things. And I believe one possible interpretation is that we're moving toward an intense seven years of tribulation and then Jesus will return. And in those seven years, we will see all of those things intensify. And then Jesus will return. But I want to emphasize today what I think Jesus emphasized and that is, be ready. Be awake. It could happen at any moment. If we get into end-time speculation and we get fascinated with it and we start trying to connect the dots and we have the charts and we have all of that and we don't live holy lives waiting for Jesus to return, we have missed his point. And we might as well throw the chart away right? And so let's zero in here. We have different views about all of this to this point, but here is Jesus's point. Verse 30, everything that has happened that needs to happen for Jesus to return at any moment. And so he said to the disciples, verse 32, concerning that day or that hour, no one knows. So remember, remember how this started. On the Mount of Olives, Jesus, tell us about end times, when all of these things will happen. And on the Mount of Olives, which was a place that, that represented the second coming of God's king, remember in Ezekiel, the, the spirit leaves the temple and it goes up to the Mount of Olives. And so throughout history, people have looked to the Mount of Olives waiting for the return of God's king, his presence to come. And so there Jesus is sitting with his disciples, teaching them about end times. And he says, I'm going to tell you all kinds of things that are going to happen in human history. But the one thing that I cannot tell you is when I will return. Notice he says, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven they don't know when this is going to happen. And then something Jesus says here, shocking. He says, nor the son. Jesus says, I don't know. 
Now, this isn't like a parent when your kid just asks you, when are we going? When are we going? When are we going? When are we going to do that? When are we going to do that? I don't know. That's not what Jesus is doing. He really doesn't know. He's not a liar. That's possible in flesh. Jesus restricted himself from all kinds of things. All kinds of things he could do. All kinds of power. We even know on the cross. He, he could have come down from the cross if he wanted to. But he restricted himself from that power. There's an omniscience that Jesus restricted himself from willfully. Chose it himself to not know. But he says only the Father knows. And again, we see his submission to the Father's plan. He submits to it. He says, I don't know, but here's the point. Verse 33, be on guard. Keep awake. Because we know what would have happened here if Jesus said, Father, I want that knowledge. He gave it to them. And then he turns around and tells his disciples the date and time. What would happen for the disciples and what would happen for us? We would fall asleep. We would grow comfortable. And we would put that date on the calendar and say, I've got to that moment to live however I want to. But in God's goodness, he doesn't tell us when. He's not withholding something that's good from us. He is giving us what we need, and that is, I don't know. Be awake, be on guard, for you do not know when the time will come. Now, he says, be like a soldier in battle. If a soldier falls asleep in battle, he's dead. If the Christian falls asleep in this world, he's dead. Be awake, stay awake, stay on guard. Luke translates it, or, or the book of Luke gives us the word, do not be dulled. Don't grow dull to the second coming. Meaning, don't become comfortable. It hasn't happened today. It didn't happen last week. I, I doubt it's going to happen tomorrow. And just become comfortable and dull to the expectation that Jesus could return at any moment. He says, you don't know, and that's a good thing. No one knows but the Father. This means that people can't predict the date and time. And when they do, they are wrong. They don't know. Harold Camping doesn't know or didn't know. The Mayans don't know. The Jehovah Witnesses, they don't know. Jesus says here, they don't know. And that is God's goodness that we don't know. Because here's how he wants us to live. It's like a man going on a journey, and Jesus is that man. When he leaves home and he puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper, stay awake. So man's going away on vacation. He brings his servants, and he says, y'all got to run this place while I'm gone. And you're responsible for this, and you're responsible for this. And, and come here, you're responsible to stand at this door until I return. To stand on guard. And all of you are responsible for your own task. So what are you going to do? Verse 35, you're going to stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come. 
or in the evening he may come, or at midnight he may come, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning. There's no way to tell when he will return. He didn't give that information, and maybe he doesn't know. Maybe he'll be told when to return. But you stay awake. Why? Lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. Find you asleep, not doing your job, not caring about the house, not obeying the commands, watching Dukes of Hazard, playing wiffle ball in the backyard. Lest he return and find you disobeying. Stay awake. And then he says, I say this to you, but I say this to all. He says this to all. Every generation from this point on, stay awake. And that is the point of the passage. If you leave today and you, you miss that, you miss everything. See, Jesus is getting at our heart and he wants you to live a certain way. He, don't want, he doesn't necessarily want you to speculate about a lot of things you don't know about. He wants you to live a certain way. And that way is awake, on guard, sensitive and expectant that he could return at any moment. The New Testament passages talk about him returning like a thief in the night. It is like a sudden trap. People are going about life as normal. There, there are parties. And then boom! There's Jesus. Matthew talks about people working in a field, going to the mill, just everyday stuff, going to work. And then there's Jesus. The sky busts open. He breaks through the atmosphere. Galaxies, galaxies shake. Lights go out, parties over at any moment. That's where we got to get to. That's how we want to live our life. This could happen at any moment. So first of all, be prepared. If you knew you would delay repentance and obedience. And so my only conclusion is that some of us act like we know. Because we're delaying our repentance. And we're putting it off. The book of Revelation chapter 6 says when Jesus comes, there will people, be people who are standing before mountains and they are asking the mountain, fall on me because I don't want to face him. They're running into caves and praying that, that there would be avalanches and the, the caves would crush them dead because they don't want to see the lamb. You don't know when that can happen. Why are you delaying your repentance? Why are you not prepared why are you waiting? Boom, any moment it could happen. You've convinced yourself that you know. In 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness. See, some of you think one day he'll get around to it. He must be slow. He must just... He must be a procrastinator like me. I don't know what's going on. And you think God is like you. But Peter says that's not the case. It is his patience towards you. You see, God waiting for this time, Jesus' return, 
It is intentional goodness for you who haven't repented of your sin. Do you understand, if you're not a Christian here today, God is being patient with you in this moment. You you are breathing in mercy in this moment. Right now, you are tasting the mercy of God in that Jesus has not returned. That is his patience. He's being good to you in this moment, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And so now is the time to repent. Either you believe that that this, this is some just fairy tale, this is crazy, this is weird, but if you believe it's reality, why have you not turned from your sin and turned to Christ? Why have you not said on the cross, he paid for my sin, I was guilty, a guilty rebel before my creator and Jesus died for my sins and I need him and he lived a perfect life and I need him and I trust in his righteousness, not my own and I hope in his promise that he was raised from the dead. He will raise me from the dead and give me an eternal kingdom. Why have you not turned from your sin and turned to Christ? Be prepared. And then he calls us here to expect it. We've got to do better at this, at least I do, of cultivating an expectation that this could be the day. This could be the day. And if today's not the day, we're one day closer to the day. And living that way, Living as if it could happen any moment. So how do you do that? Well, first of all, you gather with the church. This is one of the the ways in which the New Testament writers tell first century believers to develop an expectation that Jesus could return. And it is to gather with the church. The writer of Hebrews says, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. But what does the gathering together do? encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. You gather here. It is, a, it is to be a weekly pattern in your life where you go through struggle and you go through sin and you go through anxiety and you go through joy and you go through success and then boom, the Lord's Day comes in every week to remind you of where you're headed. You're headed to a homecoming. You're headed to to feast, as we've already heard song, and we sang together in the house of Zion. That's where we're all headed. And we gather together every week to remind ourselves that's where we're headed. We're headed to a place where Jesus is on the throne, and we are serving and loving one another in perfect unity forever. That's where we're headed. And we remind ourselves of that weekly. We gather with the church in our sin we remind ourselves that he's coming. First John says, when we see him, we will be like him. How often when I am in sin and rebellion and I just hate it, why am I like this? I won't always be like this because there's a day when I will see Jesus and I will be made like him. Do you long for that moment? Do you wish it would happen in the next second? Oh, please come, Lord Jesus. In our sin, we should cultivate an expectancy. 
And we should pray for it. This is how the Bible ends. We should pray, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly as we see sin, as we see suffering, as we see all of these birth pains and we see the chaos in the world. Do you ever just back up and go, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly? That would solve all of our problems. If you would just come, oh, Would it be on earth as it is in heaven in this moment? Come, Lord Jesus. One day he's going to answer that prayer. Pray for it. And then one of the things I think is just healthy for us is to leverage all of our anticipation. This is just a practical thing to remind ourselves of this reality. There are events in your life that you can plan out, right? And I hope when you plan those events, you say, if the Lord wills. If the Lord wills, we will have the birthday party. If the Lord wills, I will retire. If the Lord wills, I will graduate. If the Lord wills, we will have the wedding. The birth will come. If the Lord wills. Another thing I would like for you to say, for me to say, is if the Lord wills and Jesus doesn't return. What if we just reminded ourselves of those things in that way? We're going to have VBS. I've already forgot the date. The 17th or the 22nd if Jesus doesn't return, right? But just reminding yourself, it could come at any moment. And so be prepared, be expectant, and then get to work. That's why you're here. If you're a Christian and you believe the gospel, God didn't zap you into the new Jerusalem. When you walked the aisle, when you said the prayer, when you turned from your sin and you said Jesus is the only way of salvation and you opened your eyes, you're still here. Why? To get to work. God left you with this life, with skills, abilities, in this moment, this time in history, with your family, all of the networks that you have, all of the resources you have, all of the abilities you have to work for his kingdom. And if he returned right now, would he see you working? Or would you be like the employee who's lazily playing games on his phone when the boss comes around? What are you doing for the kingdom? That's why you're here. That is your design. That is your purpose right now to say Jesus is Lord. That is our purpose as a church to to create little houses around the world that are waiting for the king to return. That's what we're to do. Get to work. So we get to work with our witness. We also get to work on our holiness. Now, I know holiness in the world and even in the church today has a bad reputation. But the one who is waiting for Jesus to return naturally moves toward holiness. You naturally set your life apart to Jesus. Why is that? First uh, John chapter 3, verse 3 says, everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself or has this hope in him purifies himself as he is pure. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 11 through 12, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting and hastening the come of coming day of God. How does waiting for Jesus cause you to be holy? Well, what do you want him to find you doing? What would he find you doing? Who, who are you going to be when, when you see Jesus face to face? 
that naturally cultivates lives that want to be set apart to him because it matters. Charles Spurgeon asked this question, suppose an angel's wing should brush your cheek just as you have spoken some unkind word and a voice should say to you, your master is coming. He is here. Would you tremble? I am sure. To meet him in such a condition, you would tremble. I was thinking about anticipating the coming of Christ this week. And all week long, I couldn't help but think about Dobsey, which is our dog, okay? We have Life 360 on all our phones in our house. And so we want to know where everybody is all the time. And so there's a curve right before you get to our house. And every time someone goes around that curve, all of the phones in our house, and I think even some iPads, just begin ding, 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 everything, right? So you know someone is at home. And so over two years, Dobsey, she knows when she hears the dings, somebody is home. And she runs to the living room, and we even have her a chair, a little bench in the, in the window. And she jumps up on that bench. And she looks right there at the driveway, and that ta- tail is just wagging, wagging. Somebody pulls it. That tail gets to going so fast, and it is the sight of pure joy and anticipation. And so all week long, I was like, that is so stupid. I'm not going to give that illustration. <laughs> I guess I just did, right? But Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher, said this about his dogs. He said, I feel rebuked myself sometimes for not watching for my master. When I know that at this very time, my dogs are sitting against a door waiting for me. And long before I reach home, there they will be. And at the first sound of carriage wheels, they will lift up their voices with delight because their master is coming home. Oh, if we loved our Lord as dogs love their masters, how should we catch the first sound of his coming and be waiting, always waiting, and never happy until last we shall see him? And then he says this, which is why I'm sharing it. He says, pardon me for using a dog as a picture of what you ought to be, but when you had attained a state above that, I will find another illustration to explain my meaning. (laughs) I didn't say it. Charles Spurgeon said it. The great, one of the greatest preachers ever. But here's the reality. There's no life 360. There's none. You've already got all of the dings, heard all of the sounds. Jesus could return at any moment. The question is, are you prepared? Are you leaning in? Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Are you sharing the gospel with people who don't know Jesus? What would it be like if today was the day? You've heard all the sounds. Let's get ready. Let's stay awake.